medical school does a really good job of teaching you the art of medicine, the science of medicine. The business aspect, they don't tell you a whole lot about. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm Kim Skorupski. I'm looking at the beaming face of Professor Stacy B. Lee. Hi, Stacy. Hey, Kim. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for being here, folks. You are in for a ride today. This is great stuff. Professor Stacy B. Lee is here at the Johns Hopkins Carey Business School. She is an expert in law and ethics. She is the academic program director for the full-time MBA program at Cary. She's a founding faculty member in the Teaching Excellence Initiative. She's a conjoint appointment with the Bloomberg School of Public Health. And in addition to all that, she's super cool because she used to be a litigator, spent lots of time in courtrooms, boardrooms, and then we were lucky enough to grab her, drag her into academic medicine, and she is doing Great work for us in all of our leadership programs. Stacy Lee, gosh, I met her, well, I got here almost 10 years ago. And soon after I arrived, was introduced to her. We brought Stacy into our women's leadership programs, our co-ed leadership program. She teaches in the executive level leadership development program for the entire institution of Hopkins, including the hospital and the school. So she is a widely sought after, very well-respected, great presence. We love her so much in our classroom because she is gifted not only in the content of negotiation, but helping us apply the negotiation fundamentals into our practice, into our science. So she has that unique talent of bridging the gap between what our life is like in academic medicine and the skills that we don't learn in medical school and in our doctoral training. So, Stacy, take it away. Lay it on us. Thanks a lot, Kim. And it is so nice to be able to talk in this format of being able to spend a little bit of time talking about that gap that you mentioned. And I do teach negotiations, but what I'm super excited about is I really specialize in healthcare negotiations. And I make that distinction because I think it takes a second to wrap your head around, especially for a person who is outside of healthcare, of what that means. So if you indulge me just a second, I'll tell you how I got there. As you mentioned, I am a recovering litigator. So yes, I practiced law for about 10 years, securities litigation. From there, I did business litigation and eventually found my way into healthcare, and then ultimately my home for the past 14 years of the Cary Business School, where I teach healthcare negotiations. And what was really interesting to me along that journey is as a litigator in the corporate boardroom and as in-house counsel, I negotiated a lot. And what I found was the things in terms of strategies and negotiation approaches that worked really well in business. Once I started working in healthcare, dealing more heavily with healthcare law, once I began talking with providers, researchers, faculty at academic medical institutions, I found that the skills and strategies that worked in the boardroom don't necessarily translate over into healthcare. Mm. 
And while that was really interesting, it created for me an excellent research and kind of a career passion of how do you frame a set of negotiation principles and skills for people in the healthcare space? Because it's fundamentally different. Thank you. Amen. 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 How many times have all of us read a book, read an article, watched a YouTube, heard our business colleagues, neighbors, and friends talking about, well, negotiating at this pie and you're going to go buy a car and, you know, you hold fast to the line and you think, how do I take that buying a car transactional negotiation approach into trying to leverage my resources in my department with my department chair or the dean or people in my staff in my the in my lab office or in the staff in the clinic where it's more transformational relationship this is not bartering for on a one-off kind of a get the lowest price on the house this is it's different and i always you know i'm like i get it but i don't know how to do it in my life so your examples are just so brilliant so i'm sorry go ahead Oh, it's fundamentally different. Negotiating authorship for an mm. article, negotiating protected time, oh. very different from, hey, I want to pay as little for this Honda minivan as possible. Yeah. And I think that there are a couple things that are really different or unique about healthcare or because this is what you do. Perhaps it doesn't seem as special or as, not to be cheesy, lofty. From a business point of view, when I think of what people in the healthcare space do, their mindset is fundamentally different. So just first, when we talk about healthcare, we're talking about, to me, I think of a three-legged stool. We're thinking of the practice of medicine, the business of health, and the delivery of care. And all of those require different skills. When you're talking about the delivery of care, you're talking about the relationships between doctors and patients, insurance companies and doctors. When you're talking about the practice of medicine, it's the coordination of care among subspecialties. When you're a faculty member in an academic medical institution, you're talking about an entirely different set of skills that have to work together well. And at the end of the day, the final leg on the stool is the business of health. And far too long, the business of health, that transactional mindset has kept this three-legged stool very off kilter. Mm -hmm. So when I think of an approach to negotiations that works in the healthcare space, it's got to be more than what can I get out of this? And the mindset that is present in healthcare is very much focused not only on the other, but on the relationship. Mm. So folks that are going to be tenured with you, folks that you're going to be working in a lab with, mm -hmm. trying to get as much value as you can at the expense of the relationship, it's not going to work so well. That's right. That's right. So how do you engage with folks in a way that focuses on the relationship, focuses on the overall idea of patient care or getting the article done, not just that my name is first on it. How does that factor into approaches for negotiation? And when you read get it getting to yes, when you pick up some of your 
airport bookstore books on, you know, Mm -hmm. how do I get the most? Mm -hmm. It doesn't truly appreciate the relational approach to negotiations that's vital in healthcare. Right, right. You're, you're, You're exactly right. And that to me is, I think, what you know, when we were, use words like politics and conflict and negotiations in academic medicine, there's kind of a little bit of uh, the ick factor. And I'm stereotyping, I'm generalizing, because I do know that some people thrive in that. That's competitive for them. And they, they don't take it personally and they enjoy it. It's a game. So I, I get that. But it seems to me that this noble profession of academic medicine, where you have the world's brightest people who come into this field knowing that they're not going to be wealthy, they're going to work harder than they've ever worked in their life, uh, they're going to be sacrificing a lot. It's not inherently in that nature to be the shark in competitive. It is all about collaboration and compromise. And so, you know, in our leadership Courses, Stacy. You know, we try. We're trying to build that leadership mindset and those skills. So, it's always a fine line of helping our faculty members see the potential and see their strengths and where they can develop their strengths, but then not going so far that now we're saying, well, to be a good negotiator, you have to be like that person, or be like the business person, or be like the the litigator in the courtroom, you don't have to, um, you don't have to be that aggressive, I guess is what I'm getting at. So there's that that delicate balance of many of us go like, I don't want to deal with negotiation. Why can't I just give, why can't they give me what I need? It's it's obvious. It's in the grant. I got funded to do it. It's there. Why do I have to fight? I don't want to fight, but I don't want to risk this relationship because yeah, he's going to have to write me a letter of recommendation or she's going to you know, be at the bench next to me. We're, um, we're competing for patients. So you're right. It all comes down to relationships. So, you know, how, you know, guide us and how can we in academic medicine, um, use some of the tools you've developed in your framework to get us and to be comfortable doing this? Oh, I'd love to because implicit in everything that you said, I think is the biggest challenge for people in academic medicine. If I am a surgeon or a cardiologist and I'm making bank, that's a very different set of authority and leverage that I sit down at the table with. You mentioned that in academic medicine, there are other ways that you could have done research through big pharma, through other things and made a lot of money. So what is really interesting to me about academic medicine, you have a set of people who are so devoted to medicine in a way that oftentimes it seems like to ask for more money, more time, seems to be almost wrong to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like selfish. You feel like selfish. Who am I? What am I? I who, Who do I think I am asking for money? I'm saving lives. I'm I'm discovering cures and treatments. I'm, I'm educating the next, what do I need the money for? Well, Kim, I've got to tell you that that was the biggest culture shock for me. I'm an attorney. We bill in six minute intervals. I'll take your mm. call, but I'm billing you for it. And mm. the first person in every negotiation is me. 
Here, you have a noble pursuit. What is on the line is not a comma on a check, but the next cure. Mm. Getting a grant that will save lives Mm -hmm. of clinical time when you are helping people. So the mindset is different. So in some ways, folks in academic medicine have to be bilingual. As important as that relational part is, you will deal with people that are firmly in the business of health. So you need to be able to, when you are negotiating your compensation, when you are negotiating for that protected time, how can you do that in a way that aligns with your moral compass, aligns with, you know, hey, you're right, Stacey, I'm not a litigator like you. The relationship's important, but the things that I need for career pursuit are important too. That is a different set of skills than what you employ in the lab or when you're doing your research. And medical school does a really good job of teaching you the art of medicine, the science of medicine. The business aspect, they don't tell you a whole lot about. And you're supposed to seamlessly be able to negotiate and navigate both worlds. Mm. Hard to do. Mm. So the relationship. I like that. The Venn diagram of art, medicine as art, medicine as science, and medicine as business. And you are so right, Stacey. Unless those are there are those of us who choose to get the MBA and have an econ or finance background. It's Greek. Uh, somebody just set me up. My colleague, Dave Usum runs an economics of clinical operation, the eco course, very popular course. It's a two day course that you just get an all the for how to the backdoor workings of the money. And I got on slide 25 and I was like, I'm out. I'm tapping out. And all of a sudden <laughs> it turned into like this big bowl of noodles and arrows going here and there. And then the put the epic encounter and you build the insurance and this comes back and that's disputed. And the patient pays this much portion that goes there. And the arrow started flying. I was like, done. X out of that power. It was so, I'm not wired that way. That is just so, but you're, but that's again, where there's opportunity. Yes. That we, when we, instead of thinking, you know, it's like, Oh, I'm being selfish and, and I'm trying to elevate myself. Um, I don't deserve this. We usually do a better job of negotiating for others, you know, oh. like I'll, I'll, I'll knock out of the park for any, any staff, any faculty member, anybody I meet on the street, I will negotiate, you know, to the, to the, to the end of the earth for you. But for me, I'm like, Meh, I don't need anything. It's like the mom going, Oh, I don't need any, any right. chicken. I, I, I'm not hungry anyway. Feed everybody else. And then I'm like, yeah, I'll have a saltine. But I, I think this is where this is opportunity for us that we have to flip our way of thinking. It's not selfish for me to want and get the tools I need to do my job to help patients, learners, my institution, the field, the science. It's my obligation. Yes. It's my obligation. So switching the the, the lens of the framework is not about me. It's about why I'm here and I can only do my best if I have the tools I need. Right? Yes. And let's focus in on those tools. I think everyone in academic medicine, especially in healthcare, and I'm really focused on this because I have a tendency to believe that folks in healthcare are so 
mission oriented to get the paper out, get the grant, save the lives that if I'm a jerk to you, we have a tendency of sweeping these emotional difficulties under the rug, which gives us a very bumpy rug at the end of the day. (laughs) What I would like for folks to do is spend some time coming up with their 3 a.m. list. What are the three things you need from your academic medical institution to succeed in your career? Now, the reason why I want you to think about this is, Kim, if you woke me up at three o'clock in the morning, I can tell you right now what I need from Carrie to achieve my next career objective. Hmm. Now, for this to be palatable to me, to gear up the energy to ask for it, what I found is when I can link something that is important to me to the needs of the organization that strengthens that relationship, A, gives me the confidence to ask, depending on how conflict diverse I am and how, oh, I feel really, really nervous asking about working from home or asking to be X. By spending time thinking about what these three things are, how do they benefit the organization? How do they benefit the department? And then I go through and I'm scanning just as you would scan a patient, when there is an opportunity, can I pull something off my 3 a.m. list and link it to a need of the organization? When you are asked to do something, you should be the happiest individual in the world. Because step one, I'm going to do, okay, they'd like something for me. So this is the beginning of a relationship exchange. They need something from me. What is it that I can give from my 3 a.m. list to help us both. Quick example. And if my department chair is listening to this, I could get fired. (laughs) I started at Perry about 14 years ago and we have twins. And as a new faculty member, everyone gets a laptop. And I got my new laptop. It's scanned with the carry barcode and everything. And the monsters are my kids for about two. And they come toddling over and they're like, mommy, look. And they'd taken my nail polish and they'd painted every row on the keyboard a different color. So they had a nice little rainbow. Yay. Yay. (laughs) I was mortified. And the idea of going back to my department chair, hi, this is how I'm distinguishing myself. I have ruined a $3,000 computer. So I was like, no problem. Got my fingernail polish remover, took the nail polish off. Guess what it also took off? The letters. Yes. Now, you know, some people know how to type without looking at the keyboard. I'm not one of those people. So I had an entirely blank keyboard. In those days, they didn't have the laptop (laughs) skins. So I'm like, okay, this is great. Top of my 3 a.m. list, new laptop. New laptop. Walking down the hall, the dean says, hey, Stacy, we'd love for you to create our first online course. I'm like, yes, and. And Mm. here's that critical and. And. I wish I'd known before because I just ordered my laptop and the processing speed and the HD camera that I'm going to need to create quality online courses, oof, just don't think it's in my current laptop model. He's like, no problem. Get another one. Boom. 
There is something that I needed that I was able to link to the needs of the organization because Kim, no matter how good a negotiator I am, I did not have the confidence to go to the IT department and say, my kids ruined the laptop. Can I have another one? Yikes. <laughs> I love it. Life. Life. I love it. Super so smart. Link to yes. Yeah. So link. So gosh, that's so important. I want to I want this to sink into my little pea brain here. When I'm asked to do something, be happy because number one, it shows someone has confidence in me that I'm yes. going to do something. Let's take that optimistic glass half full approach um, perspective. And I can use it as a wow, you know, let me think about that. That sounds great. Thank you. I'm flattered. And then like we teach our, 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 especially our early career faculty members, never be in the most emotional moment of saying yes or no. Take a moment, say, let me uh, talk with my mentoring team or my mentor about that. Let me think about it. I want to um, do due diligence and think about this very carefully to make sure I can do this. Step away from it. Look at the, you know, lists. Does this get you closer to your goal or further away, et cetera, et cetera. All these things that we help people figure out if this is a good move. And then always say, and in return, what can you get from this? So I love that. So it could be something of, can I take something off my plate? So, Mm -hmm. oh, Stacy, I'd love to work with you on developing that course. And I'm wondering if you know somebody who I could then hand off my da-da-da-da-da. Do you have someone that you'd like to sponsor who would like this opportunity to serve on the XYZ committee? If I could get rid of that obligation, it'd free me up to do this. or with equipment, I'd love to work with you on that experiment or give you some a bandwidth to look at those cell cultures. And to do that efficiently, I'll need a new mastectomy, blah, 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 new <laughs> uh, telescope, microscope, something or other. So that's a brilliant way of adding, getting something back. So it's not always giving, giving, giving. It's a yes and what can I get returned? That's true negotiation. Brilliant. And when you're thinking about all these strategies, there are three questions that I think you should always keep in mind to help you filter how you want to approach it. How important is the outcome? Mm. How important is the relationship? And what are your long-term goals? Mm. So there are times when the outcome, I have to have this, I have to meet this quality measure. I have, then that's going to, have me approach it in a little bit more of a transactional point of view. I need this. And Kim, if your feelings are a little bit hurt, but I've saved lives or I've met this metric, which is so important for Jacob or for whatever, that might drive a certain type of of strategies. How important is the relationship? And what are my long-term goals? If your long-term goal is tenure, then it makes sense to... Focus more on making sure that you have the relationships, the research base, the grants to get you ultimately where you want to go. So when you requests or when you're making decisions, keep that in mind. Mm. So there are 50 million negotiation strategies out there to help you. Number one. Yeah. <laughs> Which approach? What What is my goal here? Is it a long-term goal? Is it a specific outcome? Or is it a relationship? And then work accordingly. Mm, mm, I love that 50 million. And we are not going to be talking about any of those 50 million, but yes, focused on what outcomes we desire, 
what how much do relationships weigh in on this opportunity and what are my goals yes is this mission long-term goals goals, mission specific is this mission because you know we have a lot so many times early career faculty members and i of course we we've all been here where you think i don't want to say no (laughs) my division director my department director my senior mentor bum 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 asked me to who am i to say no and and i get it because you don't want to be that one goes oh look at the new kid on the block too good to fill in the blank. You don't want to be that person, but you also want to be very clear in setting boundaries and expectations yes. because the other end of that, if you're the yes person, it's like, give it to Stacy. She'll do it. She does everything. Give it to Kim. Right. She never says no. Give it to Kim. Give it to, give it to the busiest person, you know, and they're going to get, get it done. And that's also not a good strategy. So again, you're back to that delicate balance of being mindful of your outcome, your relationship, the goals, and also this kind of underscores the importance of mentors and yes. sponsors and coaches and peer mentors and kind of taking a beat and go, wait a minute, let me think about this, pause versus jumping in and, you know, being one of these people who are proudly wears the, the badge, I'm in the cult of busy and then you're you get all burned out and you wonder why you're stressed beyond capacity because so there's that learning this negotiation mindset is and I want to underscore what you said earlier before the what are your outcome relationship goals link everything you need that 3 a.m. list I love it all right how can I possibly link my need for fill in the blank a tool a bonus a raise a staff person uh, an office, whatever it is, link it to the strategic vision mission of my division, my department, my school, my institution, whatever. Link, 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 link. Scanning for opportunities. You said you'd said always be scanning for opportunities and look how any opportunity is linkable. And then when you're asked to do something, be happy. And then don't be shy to ask for something in return using the mantra. Yes. And yes. not a yes, but because, but put people on defense. Right. It's yes. And right. Yes. Excellent. And something also to keep in mind when you're talking about the cult of being busy, if you're focused on your long-term goal, keep that in mind. If you're tempted to say yes to non-promotable tasks, mm. planning the holiday party. Hey, mm. Kim, you will do, you'll be mm. so good at that. Thank you mm. so much. And while you're doing that, guess what I'm doing? I'm writing papers. Right. right. If you are clear on where you want to be mm. and you've really spent time on that, that can help provide the boundaries for is planning the holiday party, is doing the whatever it is, those non-promotable tasks. Yes, they will keep me very busy. But will they get me to where I want to be? Mm-hmm. And if not, come up with in advance a way to protect that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and we can be again smart about that when it's kind of like, oh, do you believe it? Oh my gosh, Stacy will believe it. She just asked me to mm-hmm. organize the da 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 da. I don't like doing that. That's not in my sweet spot. I don't have time. I got two grants. My kids are sick. It's the holiday. They got the in-laws coming. Da, 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 da. All right. But she's putting me up hopefully next spring for promotion. What? How do I do this? 
So there's a way of doing a yes and. It can yes. be a yes, I'd be happy to be involved. This is important for building morale, coming out of COVID. Yes, I totally see we need to do this. And I've asked Stacy to, and I noticed that Joe down the hallway has a great um, eye for art. And I noticed that Javier loves music and he's going to, so I built a team, a committee, or yes, and I can do it, but not until March. Mm-hmm. Or yes, and I can do it if I don't have to then do the other. So there's always that yes, and, and I like how you're putting in our brain. Always think of, it's not just a yes, all right, what's the deadline? Sure. It's what can I get in return? And don't be thinking that it's selfish or it's it's um, cold or impersonal. That's being smart. That's being a leader. That's leveraging resources. That shows that shows being nimble and being wise. And I just think that really demonstrates a lot of leadership skills. I agree. And the creativity that it takes to go into being a researcher, I'm going to come up with a different way to do this. I'm going to pose a question in such a way. My business school folks are great, but the creativity that exists in the mind of a researcher, I'm going to gather facts. I'm going to assemble them. I'm going to test these hypotheses. You have the skills to think creatively to come up with any type of agreement or solution for your problems that you're negotiating. Mm. They're out there. You're excellent problem solvers. You can research, you can think creatively, you can ask probing questions. These are all the skills that you need to be a fantastic negotiator. I'm just saying, switch your orientation from the paper to your career, from your paper to your advancement, to your department success. Wow, Stacey. And you just, that is so smart. That perspective of think about, I'm now thinking about trying to put myself in the shoes of our clinicians and our, and our physicians out there who I imagine they negotiate with patients and patient families all the time. I'm, you know, I'm imagining them, you know, you look at your patient. Oh, nice to see you again, Stacey Lee. How have you been since the last time? I remember last visit, you talked about wanting to do this, that, and the other. How'd you do with that? Eh, not so good. This, that, and the other. Are you adhering to your, whatever, your prescription medicine or your physical therapy or your exercise, your diet, your walking, your mindfulness, whatever it is that we try to do to maintain our mental, emotional, physical health. Doctors do that all the time with the patients and the, and the moms and the dads and the the grandparents and the the sandwich generations that were always seem to be like negotiating healthcare plans and courses of action for patients. Oh, and so gosh, you're right. Take that. But same they labor time. all the time. Yeah. yeah. And I a parent a parent comes in with their kid, or I come to see my. You've got 15 minutes if you have EHP. You might have a little longer. I'm going to tell you what my ailment is. You are fantastic at zeroing in on what I'm saying and what I'm not saying to locate and make your diagnosis. From that, so in terms of getting information about the the ailments, the interests of the patient, healthcare providers can do that in an incredibly condensed period of time. You can link what their strengths are, what their ailments are to the proper care. 
and mm-hmm. frame it. You have the ability to frame it in such a way that creates buy-in. Because mm-hmm. if you don't adhere to the treatment plan, the right. best diagnosis in the world gets you nowhere. Right. So that right. is a negotiation. How do I negotiate your compliance? Mm. And the so that's, go ahead. You are so right because let's play that forward. Imagine if I am a healthcare provider and I've been seeing patients all day. I'm exhausted, and I now I want to go and meet with my department chair, my department director, to negotiate for that extra staff support and and a raise at an office or whatever it is. And I'm gearing up, and I've been practicing, and I've been you know using Stacy Lee as my coach, and I feel like I got everything loaded up, but I'm just it just doesn't it's not my it's not natural to me. Well, instead of like just taking that pause of thinking about the department chair as one of your patients. What is the pattern of behavior here? What are what is this patient? Now maybe just being overly simplistic, but what is my department director's primary concern right now? Yeah. What is her issue? Not a health issue, but it's an issue. Maybe the dean is smashing her over the head about X, Y, or Z. Maybe she's getting all kind of you know turnover in this department or that that division. So what this patient, my superior has an overarching need right now. Mm-hmm. What is related to that and associated to that condition or need of hers today? How can I help get her, my patient, on the right track? The yes. right track for me is, you know, how can I um, make this path seem seamless so I can come to her with solutions, possible yes. solutions? You know, doc, you know, department director so-and-so, I understand that this and this and this, it seems to me this is what's going on. I'm coming to you with this. Here are some possible ways. How does that uh, seem to you? Does that seem like something we can work with? So employ, I guess I'm trying to get at this. I'm thinking a lot, of course, typical um, obnoxious extrovert here, that just using that same skill that we already have, that you're saying that we already have, it's not too big a leap to just take that framework and plop it into any interaction where we're trying to negotiate for something we need yes to do a better job yeah and linking it and i always when you're asking for raises when you're asking for more the timing of that is critical it's really kim you come to me and you're like hey i come to you kim i did a great job last year i'd like a raise Kim looks at me and says, uh, did you cash your paycheck last year? I was like, well, yeah. And you're like, well, I paid you for the good job you did last year. <laughs> how is paying me more now? Yes, I get how it will make me feel better. How does it help the organization? So mm. when you are asking for more, things like, hey, I'm overstressed, I'm overburdened. All right, take a bubble bath. No. How <laughs> does the how do those additional resources allow the organization, the department to move forward. Mm. What additional things can you add by the extra FTE? We applied for X last year. We could do X plus whatever. You need to rent space in the Mm. person's brain that you're talking to. And the only thing that lights me up is hearing, okay, it's not just about you. How are we benefiting from this? So, Make sure you are framing your asks, your conversation in a way that gets the other person invested to rent space in their brain. They have to have a dog in the race 
to. Mm. Mm. So giving me a $10,000 raise does nothing for my boss. Except cause a lot of problems because then yes. they go, where am I going to get that $10,000? And if I give you the $10,000, Stacey, that means Kim's going to want the $10,000 and Marianne's going to want the So how can you frame it so that that $10,000, how is that $10,000 benefiting the organization? And if you can't explain it in that way, you need to spend more time with your 3 a.m. list. Whew. Well, how, how do you have anything like how would that how could I make that argument? Because this is the big thing at Hopkins, you know, uh, we, don't, <laughs> we don't we don't we don't get paid a lot of money in school of medicine. Um, what are the um, talking points for negotiating salary or. Let's let's stick with salary. I mean, resources I, I think are obvious because people can share in resources, and a, the rising tide raises all <laughs> ships. Kind of an argument, but you don't want to go to like a threatening thing because you know, in in my space in faculty affairs and faculty development, we're all about rec- recruitment and retention yeah. and development and promotion and, and excellence. But you have to get you know some of the. You don't want to lose people to being poached, you know, or we're losing you know, mid-career women. Um, they're, you know, they're highly poachable. Uh, so yes, how do are. you, you don't want to say pay me more money because if you don't, you know, I'm going to go somewhere else. I mean, I know that's kind of last ditch effort, but so how, what is the, the link to, this is why if you give me $10,000, it's going to be good for you, boss. <laughs> I'm not going to leave. Boom. No, that doesn't probably go. That's a threat, right? Yeah. Timing is very critical. So first, I don't believe in making threats unless you're going to do it. Mm. Now, mentally, in my mind, I have 20 scenarios where I've walked into the dean's office and said, you know, I'm woefully underpaid. Give me $50,000. They've only existed in my head. <laughs> because my long-term goal of making full professor did not have that happen. Now, what I do or what can be successful, and Hopkins is a tough place to get a raise. So I have two answers to the questions. Money, the first I'll deal with easy. Money's important because it allows you to do things. Mm. You can negotiate for hard and soft things. So your first thing to do is what does your department reward? At the business school, A-level publications, we reward that. You can get more money in your research budget. So I like to take great vacations. Oh, I'm going to get so in trouble for this. Anyway, I like to take great vacations. I like to present papers. I link presenting great papers with Europe in my research budget. So at least my airfare is free. So it is thinking creatively. Mm. I'm doing something that Hopkins values, churning out great, good research. I say great. They say good. (laughs) They will pay for my research budget. That is what, and money's important to me because it allows me to take great vacations. So think critically about how can you link what the organization rewards with what you want Mm. that may not be a dollar figure. In addition, for asking for more money. Do not wait until you've done the good job to ask for the money. Right. So you've tasked me to do something. We're going through, we're not now, but going through accreditation. And something huge has to be done on a very short timeline. Nine months is the timeline. 
I go to the dean. I'm willing to bust my butt. I really involve in envisioning success in this. I think I can do it in seven. Hmm. If we do it in seven, I would like to be rewarded because there will be time that I'm not being, that I'm not spending on other things. things. So I'd like to be compensated or fine. I'd like to be compensated for the extra effort that I'm going to be putting in to Mm. get this done in seven months, as opposed to nine, Mm. the value to the organization. Now only do this for, you've got to be willing to put in the effort. And just because I'm a lawyer, I would put this in writing. At the end of seven months, I've delivered. Now, the $10,000 raise that I might have asked for four months from now, once we're already accredited, eh, I've asked either at the beginning or the middle where they feel the pain. They want this done. So Ah. timing is very, very important. So if you ask for things, ask while you have occupied ample Mm. space in their brain. Mm. with what they want. Mm. I love that strategy. That makes so much sense. Annual review time. I'm working on two or three R01s and building a fellowship program. And we're working on recruiting uh, faculty underrepresented in medicine. And I'm working with the local communities for feeder programs, for staff, whatever it is you're doing. And saying it right there and then talking about that Link to and for my effort, I would like to talk about my compensation around yes. that effort. So doing if it, I'm you're preloading it. Yeah, not uh, meeting meeting these criteria. Yeah, I'm going to bring in if I bring in a faculty from an underrepresented group, yeah. or I'm important in them picking Hopkins. Measurable outcomes and indicators. Yes. If this, then like the if then loops. Yes, because you know you know you're right. This timing is so critical. You're so right because. Most of the time we see faculty crazy, crazy, working so, so hard. And it's after that, woo, I got the grant. And now can I have more money? Well, you got the grant with no money or you got yeah. the grant without any money. Why do you need more money? It's that exactly. whole kind of budget model of um, be careful what you do with nothing because <laughs> then you're going, how do you make the argument that I need more money to do nothing? You did all that with nothing or with a dollar now you're asking for five dollars. You you did it. You did all that with buck ninety nine. You know what's yeah. going on there. So you want to be careful that you if you front load that conversation in a series of if then strategic negotiations, and then if this happens, the reward, and then that will be allow me to do. And then how that's going to be see play that even forward even more. Yes. So like, what's in it for you? If here's a plan. I'm going to do this. My effort will be rewarded by a compensation and adjustment. And then my next plan is to, and then you can set that ladder up. Okay. It makes sense. It's a, you know, a reward for the extra work you're doing. Yes. And during that time, do you have mentors? Do you have other people who can brag about what you're Mm. doing? Because Mm. now your department chair is already primed. They know that, okay, you're supposed to be getting this done in seven months. And Kim says, do you know where we're ahead of schedule, which your department, oh my, you're right. We are. Mm -hmm. So they've been conditioned. And if you can enlist people to speak about what you're doing or highlight the results, so it doesn't all have to come from you, Mm -hmm. then your department chair is getting multiple inputs during a time that they're aware of this ask that is coming. 
external validation of what you were doing. Ooh, ooh, amplification. So important to have our inner tribe, our inner circle of people amplifying what we're doing. So it's not always me tooting my own horn, but we lift and raise each other up. And it's all to the benefit of the institution to the greater good. Yahoo! Oh, Stacy. So good. So good. Folks, do you see what I'm talking about here? (laughs) This is Stacy Lee. Wow. Um, I'm gonna lead some part, you know, parting thoughts. I mean, you've left us with so much relationships, timing, linking, scanning, asking for something, a quid pro quo. Focusing on our outcomes, our relationships, our goals, thinking yes and yes and what would you, um, how do you want to wrap it up or something? I'm going to stop talking and let you, I'm going to look, make sure I got your email address right because I want to share it with folks, but you tell people. Yeah, and um, please follow me on LinkedIn. I have a monthly negotiation newsletter that you do on, yes, negotiation matters. And I am putting out their career advice. I focus on healthcare specific issues. I focus on issues that people of color and gender have difficulties in negotiating specific tips aimed at those groups. So yeah, feel free. So what is the, what is the handle again? It's negotiation matters and you can find me on LinkedIn. Stacy B Lee. It's Stacy S T A C E Y B dot Lee at J H U dot E D U. Stacy yes. B Lee dot Stacy B. Lee at jhu.edu. And you also want to give a shout out to Kasame Christians Negotiate Anything. Yes. You did it a podcast episode. Yes, we, on that. Uh, there's a negotiation podcast coming out there where I get more into the specifics of the healthcare negotiation framework. I lay out the five steps of the HERE model and walk you through the specific strategies and approaches, and we'll have links to some information on how you can implement that into your practice. See? All right. Check her out on LinkedIn, folks, right? Another superstar here at Hopkins, Stacy. Thank you. You so rock. Much. Can't wait to see you in a few weeks at our leadership programs. Keep on helping us learn. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us, Stacy. Thank you. See y'all next time on the Faculty Factory Podcast. Don't hesitate to reach out to us if you know someone who should be in the podcast, including yourself. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory Podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.